Longtime listeners will know this about us already, but occasionally we like to bring back guests who we've interviewed before to see what's been going on in their businesses since the last time we chatted. Often business moves in ways they didn't predict when we spoke a couple of years ago. And we're doing it again this week. Chris Orzakowski is our guest for this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. And as you'll see, Chris has a very different business than the one he talked about when we interviewed him before. But before we jump into this interview, this podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Think Tank. That's our mastermind for copywriters and other marketers who want to think outside the box. Wow, we're using a cliche to talk about thinking outside the box. That's so inside the box. But if you want to build new offers and revenue streams in your business, then the Copywriter Think Tank is the kind of place that might just be for you. So Kira, you asked me this last week. I'm going to ask you, why do you think the Think Tank helps copywriters experience real results? Yeah, what comes to my mind first is that we help we help copywriters go from feeling like a business owner and acting like a business owner and thinking like a business owner to feeling, thinking, acting like an entrepreneur. And we've talked about this frequently with our accelerator program where, you know, you can shift from a freelancer mindset to a business owner mindset. But once we're in the think tank and we're working very closely with the copywriters in that room and they're surrounded by 25 other copywriters who are ambitious and building businesses and restructuring models and kind of figuring out how to do it um, in a way that works for them. That's where that shift from business owner to entrepreneur really takes place. Um, And we've seen it with the the think tankers that have been in there and how they've grown even since they've left the think tank. Um, So that's that's the big shift for me that I've noticed from the people that uh, show up in the think tank. Yeah, I agree. You know, if you want to be a great copywriter, you study great copywriting, you surround yourself with good copywriters. But if you want to be a great business owner of a copywriting business, then you need to do more than just copywriting. You need to study business principles. You need to be surrounded by people who are doing not just interesting things, but successful things, big things in their businesses. And that's why something like the Think Tank helps so much. So if you're listening to us talk about that and the copywriter think tank sounds like something you'd at least like to know a little bit more about, visit copywriterthinktank.com, fill out that form, and we can just have a short call to talk about whether it's right for you. Okay. Let's hear from Chris about what's been going on in his business since we last talked to him about two years ago. I believe it was episode 112 of the podcast. A lot has changed for him. I've become went from being a freelancer to having an agency and a team, and uh, you know, info products, newsletter, all this just crazy stuff. Um, a lot of growth, you know. Um, what happened was I was getting to the point as a freelancer where, you know, I'd done a lot of like big multi million dollar launches, and you know, worked for people like Jeff Walker and John Asraf, and I just started feeling like I just was doing the same thing over and over again. You know, all these big launch projects and these webinars and everything, and it was fun, it was cool. But after a while, I was just like, you know, I want like another challenge, I want another mountain to climb. I didn't really know what I wanted that to be, but I just knew I wanted to see what else is out there, right? So um, I started obviously, you know, working on my own side of the business, building my own list and, you know, creating products and those kind of things, which was cool. And just really exciting. The first time, you know, you, you have an email list. I remember like I, I did an affiliate promotion for Abby Woodcock's, uh, 
one of her programs like a couple of years ago. My list was like 273 people and I made like 1700 bucks. I was like, holy crap, this is awesome. Like I, I gotta do this every week, you know, it was so cool. Uh, so I, I just knew that that was going to be like the next step for me instead of just continuing to, you know, cause there's a few different paths you could go. You can go like super deep and become like the high end freelancer and continue to raise your fees and the level of clients you work with. There's nothing wrong with that. And, um, but for me, I was like, I want to see what else is out there. Cause I, I get bored. I want to hop around. I want to get my hands on different things. So I started doing that. I want to start getting more leverage and remove myself from writing as much copy one-on-one uh, -on -one for clients. I said, you know what? Um, I kind of had this idea like where I wanted to an agency and, you know, I'm a big fan of Mad Men. So maybe that's just reprogram my brain yeah. a little bit, you know, after watching it like eight times, but um, I was like, you know what? I think I could do it. And I was like, why not? Like, you know, I'm 32 right now. When I started this agency, you know, I had the agency idea. I was like 29, 30. And I was like, what am I going to do for the next three decades? You know, like, what am I going to do? Am I, you know, just, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with like continuing to just do the same thing and becoming a master of the craft. But I was like, I want to just see what else is out there. So I said, I'm going to start an agency. And so I didn't know when, but then, uh, you know, COVID happened. Right. And my son was born March 31st last year. And it was like crazy because we didn't know if I'd be allowed in the hospital. I mean, I knew I was going to be there even if I had to elbow past the guards. Like I was like, I'm going to be in that room. <laughs> but like there was a lot of, you know, uncertainty and, you know, every, you know, my wife had to labor in a mask. It was like this whole big thing. We didn't know what was going on. It was very early on in the process. Everyone probably remembers what that was like. And I remember I came home. I like had this paternity leave plan. I was like, I was going to take two or three weeks off and like do nothing. And with everything that was going on with the economy and the market tank and all this stuff, I was like, we're taking zero days off. I launched my agency the day I got home from the hospital. Um, we put my son up for a nap and I got on the computer. I said, all right, let's get some writers. Let's get, you know, we got a few clients signed up. Like, let's get it going. And, uh, you know, ever since then, just been pedal the metal. So I'm really curious about that process because I know there are a lot of our listeners that even if, you know, maybe agency isn't right for them now, they're kind of thinking, hey, maybe someday the agency thing would work for me or, you know, they're working with clients and they've got enough work that they occasionally bring in a junior writer to help out with various things. So they're almost to that stage you know, that stage. Talk to me a little bit about, okay, yeah, you, you launched the agency, but there's a lot that goes into that. Um, you know, let, let's talk about the first steps, but, you know, clients, writers, you know, other help and, and all that goes into running a virtual agency. <laughs> Man, it's, it's a lot. It's, uh, the main thing I can tell you is that you got to know what you want out of it. You got to know, who you are, what you do, who you do it for, and what you want it to be. And like those, it's taken me 18 months to figure that stuff out. So it's not like, like, oh, you listen to this podcast and then 10 minutes later, you haven't figured it out. Like it's going to take a lot of just going out there, closing deals, working on projects. And uh, like, I, I, I was, I remember I was telling Kevin Rogers, who I do coaching with, uh, you know, I was like, man, every week I just get like punched in the face with like, like a, just a punch in the face with reality. Like every week of like, all the lessons I learned as a freelancer, I had to relearn as an agency, which is the most frustrating and humbling thing ever in terms of like rules of engagements with clients, like red flags and like other things, like even stupid things, like get your money up front. And like a couple of times I didn't do that. And then like, you know, it's just a lot of things where like, oh my God, I know this lesson. Like I've learned this lesson. Like I've touched the stove. I know it's hot. Like, why do I have to touch it again and burn my hand again? Um, but in terms of like the way you start out is you start out just very small and you only hire what you need. Right. So for me, I knew that like out of all the things in the agency, you know, there's a lot of different ways to build it, right? There's agencies, like if you think about 
old school advertising guys, like you have like an Ogilvy or you have a Gossage, right? So the Ogilvy is like, he might, you know, if he wants to, he'll write and he'll, oh, Rolls Royce is coming in and I want to write an ad for them. So that's going to be my project. His, that'd be his little pet project in his account. But he builds the team of writers and he's the name and the face and brings in the clients and sends them on down the pipe. And then there's the Gossage type agency where Gossage is the draw, right? And he builds the agency around as a support system for him and all the work funnels kind of to him and his like creative team. And there's obviously all different kinds of between, but there's those different models, right? So, and that's what I mean when I say figuring out what you want it to be, what you want it to look like. And then in addition to that, there's also, do you want this to be an agency that's going to be 5 million, 10 million, 20 million, 50 million, hundred million dollar a year? Like what is, what's the level you want to hit? Like you have to know that starting out. And that was one of those things I didn't know. And now I've determined what I want mine to be. Um, because you got to know where you're going because that's going to affect the type of projects you, you do, the type of deals you structure, the type of clients, the order in which you hire a team, you know, it just every single thing is going to fall in line. And Austin Bronner was the one who first told me he runs, um, e-commerce influence podcast in the coalition and he's like a big e-commerce guy and i was talking to him and he was like there's three kinds of agencies there's like the whale agency which is they would just want to get a bunch of clients and you know uh they're just going for size and so the owners can have a sellout one day or they can have an exit they could you know merge with another agency or whatever it is and they want to have the big business then there's like the boutique agencies which they only have a handful of clients and they go really really deep with them and maybe they do like rev shares or maybe they just do high-end work and high-end deals it's really custom and bespoke and maybe they only have two or three clients right and they have the team just to service those accounts they work with them for years on end and then there's the productized service agency which is you do the same thing you know, you solve this problem, here's the solution, here's how you do it, you have your steps. Um, and there's obviously hybrids within all those approaches, but it's figuring out within those few models that I just mentioned who you're going to be, because that's going to affect everything else you do from sales to marketing, to operations, to HR and finance and, and everything else from there. And so I'm, I'm going to assume you landed on productized services agency uh, or some combination of that and maybe, maybe some you know, boutique-ishness, I don't know. Um, but like, what's the what's the financial goal? Financial goal for me, um, you know, I want to clear six figures a year from the agency um, in profit. And I don't really care if we get much bigger than that. You know, like I'm not trying to build, uh, so there, were, there have been points in this journey where I'm like, you know what, we could do these kind of deals. We could, you know, do this pricing structure and this kind of deliverable structure with the clients at this level and build this up. But like what I've done with the agency is like every week, it's been like a different thing. It's been like, you know, between learning the hard lessons, getting punched in the face every single week, it's also like, you know, maybe this, you know, this month we'll really put a focus and try to bring in, you know, these kind of like lower price deals. Like sometimes it's like, no, let's focus on the $10,000 a month retainers where we do like our, you know, bespoke style of like plain text storytelling brand voice, you know, emails like that. Um so it's, it's, I've hopped around and that's the thing, like you have to, through this process, I feel like you have to give yourself a little permission to hop around and say, you know, I need to explore this, you know, nook and cranny to see if this is actually where I want to go. For us, we're definitely more kind of like one foot in the boutique, one foot in the productized service. And that's why also I don't, this agency as it is, doesn't have to be a hundred million dollar agency. Right. And I don't want to really build it with that intention because the certain thing too, is depending on the kind of work that you do, to get to that level, you have to dilute it. You either have to dilute the work, not in terms of like making it crappy, but like there's some agencies out there, and I started to learn this where there's agencies out there that they'll have 300 clients and they're going to send an email each week for that client, but they'll just take the same email and swap out the header image and swap out, you know, one paragraph of text and they'll yeah. just clone it 300 times. And then they charge their clients $2,000 a month. And that's why they could charge that low of a price because their deliverable cost for that client is $100 a month because they're paying a writer. 
that they hired off Upwork, $10 an hour. You know what I mean? So like, that's yeah. where the arbitrage, and that's fine. Like, I don't care like what people do, it's good for them, you know? But like for us and the kind of work that we do, we go deep with the brands. We pull out their stories. We either help them develop their brand voice or match their brand voice. So like, and I love that kind of stuff that we do. And I love how we build the personality-based you know, copy around it. And like, that's something that I never want to sacrifice. So for me, I'm perfectly okay with keeping it bespoke, boutique, somewhat productized in terms of we know the core services that we offer and we don't deviate too far from that. We can always just stay in our zone of genius there. Yeah, I, I love that. And the focus that you bring to your agency makes a lot of sense. You know, somebody shows up and says, hey, I want uh, help with a webinar. You're probably not the guy to do it. Even though you could, I'm sure, write a great webinar, you know, it's it's not the focus. So I really like that. So what does a typical engagement look like for you? You know, when the, when the client comes in the door, you know, what are we talking about as far as uh, what that retainer looks like on a month to month basis? How much work gets done? What are you charging the client? Um, you know, spill some of those details. Yeah. So retainers are usually between five and 10K a month, um, which is definitely, you know, I didn't know this at first, but I started talking to other people in agencies. They're like, you're kind of at the high end. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, we do high end work. So, uh, you know, I certainly hope so. Um, but, you know, usually that's anywhere from, you know, anywhere from 10 to 20 emails a month. And, you know, for e-commerce brands, it tends to be a pretty good mix. I mean, there's some brands out there where, you know, we've had some smaller retainer clients in the past where it's like, They'll do, you know, seven emails a month. We'll do seven emails a month. They'll do like an email a week and then we'll do like three or four flow emails for them, right? And we'll kind of build it out slowly. So those are usually smaller deals. But uh, for a lot of clients who sell consumables, who have a decent amount of product line, like usually between 10 and 20 emails, you might have, you know, anywhere from 10 to 14 broadcasts and more campaigns, they call them a month. And then a handful of flow emails that you're either going to create from scratch or optimize uh, and then there's obviously, you know, weekly revenue reports, there's analytics, there's those kind of things that get thrown in as well. But usually those are the range for those offers. I mean, we've also done one-off projects too. Like we've kind of gone back and forth where some clients, we've really, our sweet spot and where I want to take in the future is definitely more of the one-off projects. Um, and those range anywhere from, you know, 6,800 to 18K. So it just depends on the size and the scope and they're all a little bit different. So and a, a typical one-off project uh, product your, your project sorry you're talking about like setting up specific sequences that are going to last forever right it's not just like hey write a campaign for black friday or, or maybe it is i mean we've done a few launches for clients where it is like a bigger you know five figure like low five figure project and it's a, a big launch um but the, most of the time yeah it's like the automations and you know essentially like for a lot of these clients like sometimes we'll set up you know some emails for them you know, a couple of flows and things, and they'll start making an extra, you have a client who's making an extra like 12 grand a month from one flow that we built, right? So it's like, okay, well, <laughs> would you pay us five grand for that one flow that's going to produce 12K a month for you for however many years you run your business, if it stays the current level and it doesn't grow at all. So, you know, that's why we like the flows because it's a good ROI for clients. It's easy for them to see the value. And it's one of those things where like every day that they don't have in place, they're losing money. So, you know, it's not the only thing we've done, but for us, we just feel that that's our sweet spot in terms of delivering the best value for people and giving them that asset that's going to produce for them because that's what they want to buy. They want to buy an asset, right? They want to trade money for an asset. They'll trade money for campaigns and the jobs to be done type thing, but they usually rather have that in house. And I don't blame them because there's a lot of like, you know, fixes that happen on the fly and, oh, we need to change this promotion real quick. And that happens. It's the nature of business. You know how it yeah. is. Yeah. Um, but for us, the automation stuff, it's just the lowest stress, the most fun and usually the most lucrative. And then um, how are clients finding you? You know, is it 
again, agencies have different approaches to this, but um, oftentimes, you know, especially at the higher level agency where you're charging those kinds of levels, it's referral based. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious if that's how you're finding your clients or if people, you know, find you through SEO or do you advertise your services? What does that look like? We've done all that. Uh, <laughs> and, the, and the thing is, they all work, you know, like that's, it's, it's a lot of, um, it's definitely some SEO. It's definitely, we've done some, our, one of our first clients came from paid advertising. So we're from YouTube actually. Um, we've had clients come from Facebook. We've had, you know, I've done trainings and other groups and presentations, webinars and things. We have clients come from there, a lot of referrals. You know, we've had some clients, sometimes we'll have clients who like own holding company where they'll have multiple brands and then they'll want us to work across the brands. So like, you know, one client will turn into five projects, you know, and then obviously like I had my, like, I don't know what is it, magnetic field, like the email list and the articles and the social stuff and like the culminate in the books on Amazon, like culmination of all that stuff together. Like you just tend to like grow this magnetic field where you just have more impressions in like the, the matrix essentially. Right. So I think that's part of it, although that's not as it's a little more abstract for people to understand, but it's kind of like you do a lot of stuff. People start knowing who you are and then opportunities come your way. Yeah, I want to come back to that because I think that's something that I've watched you do over the last three or four years that is is pretty amazing. So let's come back to that. But before we leave the agency stuff, I'm also curious about your team. Uh, you know, what size is it? Um, how do you engage with them? Uh, again, thinking of people who might be listening and thinking, oh, you know, I'd like to do an agency thing. Obviously, you don't go out and hire five people, um, but at the same time, you, you need people who you can depend on. So how do you manage that uh, that spectrum? Yeah, so... That's and that's it, it's hard. Like the thing is, we've I've learned a lot, and you really learn a lot about yourself too. Because you know, if you you probably read the E Myth, um, there's the technician, the manager, yep. and the entrepreneur. And Great like, book. Oh, it's it's life changing, right? So like I now know after going through this process, I was like, yeah, like you get people, you manage them, you know. But like I, I'm a terrible manager, and I I learned that very on the process. I was like, man, you know, like. Uh, my, you know, some of my writers are like, I was like, okay, here's the project, here's the deliverables, like, here's the big ideas that I'm thinking for the campaign and blah, 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 right? And hashing it all out. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Like, when do you want this copy? Blah. I was like, I don't know, you know, like, whenever you can get it. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> give us a due date. And I was like, I feel weird doing that. And I was like, you know, we got to get someone whose job it is to manage the process. And um, so our team is like 10 people. And it's, you know, according to like the EOS system, which is, you know, I love EOS and I'm sure you're probably, you have a million yep. books behind you. I'm sure you probably read that, those two. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's phenomenal. And like, there's the accountability chart, right? So like what I started to realize was a, a lot of us sit in multiple seats and it's just going to happen because you have a small team and you know, until you have the size, we could hire one person for one seat with their five roles and responsibilities. You're going to have some overlaps. Like we have Angie Coley, who's our copy chief. You know, she, you, you probably know Angie. She was yep. Angie's awesome. She's been on the podcast and love, love her to death. Oh, she's phenomenal. Yeah. And like yeah. she was my copy chief when I was Jeff Walker. So like, obviously I know she, I mean, she, you know, taught me how to ride essentially. Right. So she was leaving Jeff. So I was like, Hey, do you want a gig? Like I got a you know, part-time part-time uh, and everyone's part-time. That's the thing too. Like I was, we got a part-time situation over here. Like we got a few clients. We, I just need someone who could, you know, foster the writer's growth and like, you know, have eyes on every campaign. Cause that was the thing. As we started to get more clients, all the emails were running through me. And it's this big game of like, you start to realize like, you're the bottleneck in every single process. Mm -hmm. And so it's just solving like one bottleneck every single week. So that was a big bottleneck. And once we got Angie in there, she did a phenomenal job. So she's like half copy chief and creative director and half account manager. And she kind of like liaises with the clients. And she's like, 
she's like a unicorn in that regard. Like it's, I, I don't know. I don't, I will never find another Angie. Like that's one thing I can say about it. Like she just knows how to handle the clients, knows how to like, you know, have the tough conversations and set expectations and frame things. And so she does a phenomenal job there. And then we have Matt, who was actually probably like my first official hire, uh, Matt Spangler. And he's, you probably wouldn't know him in the copywriting world, but he's like, um, he's just like, I could throw any tech problem at him. And he's like, got it. Let me figure it out. Let me find a workaround. And he's just good. Like he just knows like, okay, we got these two softwares. Here's how we make them talk to each other. Here's how we make them work. Here's the workaround we got to do. He just like, his brain just works that way. He's like brilliant in that regard. So like any tech problem, like, here you go, Matt, he takes that. Um, we have Cindy, who's like my, start off as my EA. Now she's my integrator. So she's kind of like project manager, EA, um, but just really like that integrator role in EOS and like helps me just manage all aspects of the business. Um, and she's like, you know, the Asana queen. And, uh, you know, she also worked in, in uh, like a big agency before, you know, like like uh, a while back. And then I have six writers, um, Eddie Baroon, Nick Gates, John Holt, Amanda Luft, Carrie Carr, Robert Lucas. And um, everyone is basically, you know, if we have a retainer client, they're on a retainer. If we have one-off projects, which are, you know, 70 to 80% of our projects, they get paid by the project. Um, and it's kind of like, it's almost a little bit of like the Hollywood model where like when you go to make a movie, you know, if you don't own a studio, but you want to make a movie, you hire a film crew, you hire an editor, you hire the actors, you hire the script writer and, and you know, everyone comes together, they do the project, you ship the project, and then you either do another movie or everyone kind of goes and works on another thing or whatever the case is. So um, it's kind of fluid. And for a while I felt bad. I was like, I should have full-time people, but I'm in this mode now where I'm like, you know, everyone talks about like the future of work and like what it looks like. And really like if everyone can just do what they got to do and get their work done and do an awesome job, I don't need you 40 hours a week. I just need you for when I need you. And as long as you do a good job, I don't care if it took you 10 minutes or 10 hours, you know, I'd hope it takes 10 minutes for your own sake, <laughs> but like it's that kind of main mentality. So we're completely asynchronous. We're completely digital. There's no travel, you know, it's just basically, we don't even have weekly meetings. We actually just started doing weekly meetings again after like 18 months, but we didn't have any weekly meetings. We just meet up. We got a project who, who has availability, who's interested. We get the writers in the project. We do a kickoff call with the team. We do a kickoff call internally. And then we're off to the races. Everything goes into Asana. Everything's tracked, due dates and everything. Click, click, click. Stuff gets done. Goes to Angie, edits, uh, or, you know, gives edit feedback, edits made, shipped to the client, client edits, Ship back, approved, QA'd, tested, scheduled, done. Boom. Awesome. And then last question while we're talking about agency stuff. You mentioned Asana. Are there other tools that you're using to manage it or is it all happening through Asana? Asana, Slack, Zoom, Loom. Um, just those four. So yeah, so um, small team, a few tools and a great business. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like what you realize with an agency is like, there's a couple, there's, there's, there's two main functions, right? It's like you find people who have a problem and devise a solution for that problem. And then you hire the team to solve that problem. Right. And if you could do that, like, those are the two like arms of the agency essentially. Right. And like, I mostly sit in like the finding the people who have the problem and then coming up with the solution to the problem. And then most of what I hired for is people helping me solve the problem. So like I can write an email, you know, like I've written, I don't know, 10,000 of them. Like I, I've done successful campaigns, but for me, like I view like, what is the thing I'm best at in my zone of genius and the thing that I can help, you know, like my whole thing is like what energizes me is going out and like hunting the woolly mammoth and dragging it back to camp. But once it's back at camp, I don't want to, you know, skin it, chop it up, cook it and serve it to the village. Like, I don't want to do that part. 
I just want to go out and hunt all day. Right. So that's the like realm that I stay in. And I just always try to say anything that is not in that zone of genius. I give it to someone who's energized and excited and good at, and can probably think of better solutions than I can because they have the bandwidth and the focus and the interest and possibly even the prior experience to help me with that. Yeah. I love it. It's a great, it's a great model. So let's shift the conversation a little bit and talk about some of the products that you've built, because again, I think uh, maybe you were coming out with the first product last time we talked, I can't remember exactly where you were on that, but you've got uh, a a couple of books, one that uses a bonus when, you know, people join your newsletter, you've got your newsletter. Um, I think you're even doing some training stuff. If I'm, if I'm following your emails and and seeing what you're doing, uh, selling workshops, that kind of stuff. So talk about how that uh, impacts your business and and what you're doing with all of those uh, kinds of things. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, there's this whole idea of selling, you know, like you look at like the logging industry and they generate sawdust and then they sell the sawdust and they put it into those little logs you could throw into your fireplace and they put it in, you know, impossible burgers and other, you know, cellulose. Yeah. <laughs> they just take this, like this essential garbage and like put it in all these different places, sell it, they package it in different places. Not that that's what we're doing with the products, but it's, it's kind of like the positive side of that idea of like, you're doing work, you have these byproducts, you create these systems, you create these results, you create all of these, like just byproducts of everything that you're doing, the work that you're doing. And what we've really done a good job of is like, we do something and we try to turn it into a SOP, right? A standard operating procedure. It's like, okay, we have a process for getting results for clients, right? Like that's what my print newsletter is. It's like every month I just share a different, you know, campaign. We've done the work really well. So I'm like, here's the campaign. Here's how it works. Here's the framework for it. Here's how you go do it for yourself, right? And it's just always that process. So like all the products, when I first launched my email copy academy course, you know, I've been doing this stuff at a high level. I've had retainer clients have done big launches. I've done all these things. I've you know, worked 100 plus clients at that point, right? So it's like, okay, well, there's clearly a process here. Let's just put it into a package. And part of that, the process lives in your head. So you have to pull it out of your head. And, and this is where my advantage is. And like some people create products and they just, they suck. And some people create products that are really, really good, right? Like you guys have done an awesome job with all of your stuff. And that's why you have such a big following and you get people such good results, right? Because there's some people who get teaching and the art of like taking that information, packaging it and instilling it and other people who just throw some slop together, right? And for me, as my background as a teacher, like that was one thing, like, you know, I didn't enjoy teaching, but I knew how to break something down. I taught special ed. So like I had to really break stuff down into manageable, digestible, bite-sized chunks that I could give to someone. You know, I had to teach kids uh, to write who could barely, you know, write their own first name, you know, when I taught elementary school. So it's like, how do you break some, how do you break a one page essay down? into something that's simple enough to where a third grader can get that and get that skill, especially if they're reading on a first grade level. Right. So I took some of that knowledge about how to teach. And so always like, okay, what is the point of what you're doing? How does it work? Break it down into the checklist or frameworks and then show examples and then give people the exercise to do. So every single product that we make is just that we just say, okay, what do people need help with? And it's always, if we look at what the demand is and like people were like asking me for coaching and asking me for all these other things. And I said, you know what? Like, I'm just going to create a course because people are asking for it. We'll see how it sells. And that was email copy academy. That's my first course. And, you know, put a few hundred people through that. And um, that was a fun experience because I just got the basics down of like, okay, what are the basics of everything? Like what are the foundational fundamental skills of what I do when I sit down and write email sequence? And then excuse me, I even added like how I get clients and how I close those clients, like talk to them on the phone. And it was a pretty big success. Uh, one of their books is sleep while you scale. I'm, I'm scale while you sleep. Yes. Sorry. Scale while you sleep. Yeah. Sleep. 
I guess same same difference, but yeah. Too make much sure alliteration, right. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, make it rain, which is uh, I don't know if you sell that one, but you use it as a bonus when people mm. you know join. Um, talk about the process of writing those. Did you just take you know the course that you that you had and turn it into a book, or did, did you go deeper than that? No, you know, I just used Dean Jackson's 90 minute books. Um, and it's funny because people are like, I want to write a book. I'm like, just pay Dean Jackson, you know, whatever. Uh, it's like three or four grand, whatever. I think back when I got it, it was like 2,700, but which was still a lot, you know, it's nothing to sneeze yeah. at. Right. Um, but I said to myself, okay, I could pay this money and then be an author. Right. And that's what I did. And no one else was an author. No, no, no one wrote a book on email marketing. So I said, I'm going to be the guy who writes a book on email marketing. And then I just did. And is it, you know, is it, the best book ever written in the entire world, right? Is it ranked number one on the New York Times bestseller list? No, but does it need to be? Absolutely not, right? It gets the core of my philosophy and gives people some quick and instant wins and that's all it needs to do, right? So I just did that and I just, you know, part of it too is just a lot of copywriters who want to do this stuff, they just think they got to be a somebody to go do it. But like doing that stuff turns you into somebody, but that's how it works. It's not like when I'm an expert, one day I'm going to write all these books. It's like, no, experts become experts because they write books. It's like they write the books, then people start seeing them as an expert. Yeah. Let's talk about that process a little bit, because uh, again, like I said, I sort of watched you do that. Um, you know, I, at what point did you decide you wanted to step out on your own and sort of be that expert in the space? It, it, if I remember right, it kind of started happening when you did uh, the the back and forth with Kim Schwalm, but, but maybe even you had roots before that. Uh, talk about, especially your intention in building that and how you've gone through that process. Yeah. So originally I started doing all that stuff because I wanted to create like a moat around my business and say, you know, if I have a lot of content, like what I noticed like all these, you know, guys that I learned from, you look like Dan Kennedy and like Frank Kern and all these you know, people I looked up to. And it's like, well, they have all this stuff. They got these websites and they got these articles and they have these funnels, right? And like, I bet if I want to hire them for anything, no matter what, it's going to be a lot of money. And I said, okay, there's definitely a correlation there, right? Maybe not an exact science, but there's a correlation. So I said, okay, I need to produce content. And obviously a lot of this, you know, with Kevin Rogers' influence in, in terms of like teaching me about the importance of authority content. But I started back in 2016, I think January, 2016 was like when I first started publishing and no one knew who I was and nor should they, like, I didn't really do anything at that point. I was just writing articles and, you know, I probably written a hundred articles before any significant amount of people even knew who I was, but I realized like, if I just keep on writing, eventually I'll probably get pretty good. Right. Like eventually if I, you know, I can't, what am I going to write a thousand articles? They're all going to suck. Like probably not. A few of them will probably be decent enough. You know, I had done blogging before I started copywriting. So I understood a little bit about like, okay, you know, people like reading interesting stuff. So if I just write interesting stuff, more people start to follow me, know who I am. So the thing is, I didn't really know what I was doing. And even nowadays, it's still like you figure it out a little bit more each and every day, but it's like, it's just the momentum. And it's just like, if you continue to write stuff, the first 20 articles might suck, but the next 20 might be pretty decent. And then 20 after that might be really, really good. And people might love your stuff after that. So that's just what I did. I just knew that that was, I don't know if that's true for everyone, but that's always been true for me. Like the first book that I write, I think it was okay. I think the second book was better. And I think the third book that I write is going to be phenomenal, right? But I'm not going to get to the phenomenal book number three until I write books number one and two. And the same thing is with blogging and all the, the content stuff. So the, the, the goal with that was to say, if I just write enough content, eventually I'll have a blog. I might get some SEO maybe if I stumble into it and I have, right? Or at least I'll have enough experience writing and putting... Or I could, part of it too, I remember back, it was like when I was talking with clients, I did this thing where I was like, oh, it's funny. I actually published an article about this recently. They were like, oh, you did. <laughs> and like, 
I publish it on my blog. It doesn't matter where it's published. It's published because there's something about that, like that air of authority. I don't know what it is, you know, and it's this like weird, like human, like the way that we perceive experts and information, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to describe it really, but like people are like, oh, wow, well, this person publishes articles. So clearly they're, they're good at this. And just knowing that one fact, I said, well, I'll just publish a lot of articles. And then I can say, Hey, here's an article I published, check it out. Because if I'm competing against you and you have no blog and no articles and I have articles, I'm going to, I'm going to win that gig. And then obviously that turned into books, speaking gigs, you know, even more stuff, you know, as you've, as you've moved forward. So, um, you know, do you, at at each step, do you think, okay, got the blog, got the articles. Now it's time for a book and got the book. Now it's time for events or, you know, what's your thinking there? Yeah. So, you know, part of it is like, people talk about like getting lucky and like a little bit of it's getting lucky, right? Like I'm not one of these people who's like, it's all just hard work. Like it is a lot of hard work, but it's also getting lucky. But like the way you get lucky is by continuing to put yourself in the arena every single day, every single week. Right. So I published a weekly article for years and it wasn't until maybe the second half of that process where all the opportunities started coming my way. Because when people see that you're consistent and they know that you're building the list and you're gaining momentum and it's like, you know, everyone, not it's not riding coattails, but it's like they want to be on the rocket ship with you, you know. So that's when opportunities start coming out. And then once you get the list, now you have the asset. And other people, like when you know, if they have an affiliate offer, if they have a webinar, if they have a book they're launching, if they have a summit, the bigger your list gets and the bigger your following gets, the more of those people you attract because you have a bigger asset that they can leverage themselves. And that's just the way it is. Like nothing wrong with it. It's just that's the game, right? Like, you know, if if uh you know someone, if Seth Godin wanted to, you know, promote your thing, like, you know, that'd be awesome because he has a huge audience. And that's just the way it is. Like people start to say, okay, well, who's starting to gain steam momentum and, and where's the impressions, right? Like you talk about impressions in the matrix and the media matrix, like where's all the attention going? So the more of that stuff you start doing, the more attention you start attracting, the more people get onto your list, the bigger your list grows. It's like, you know, it just snowballs after a while in terms of the opportunities that you get. So part of it was just seeing like, wow, I'm doing more stuff and more people are starting to know about, you know, me and my blog and everything and and people are joining my list. And now the list is 800 people. Now it's, we broke a thousand and then we're at 1400 and then we launched a course. Now we have 1700. And then it's like, now today it's only 4,500 or so, but it's, it's 1800 customers or, or more than that, actually, maybe 1850. So it's a significant amount of like, you know, good list quality. So, but that's the way it happens. It's just part of like, in the beginning, you take the small opportunities. Like I was going on podcasts that had zero subscribers. People were just launching. I was doing all those things because I said, you got to do this stuff before you get to the big leagues. It's great to have Chris back on the podcast. And if you've been listening along, you know, he shared a ton of really good ideas. I in particularly really like the deep dive that he did on just building an agency, thinking through what he wanted, the number of times that that changed all of the roles in the agency the challenges that come along with that, the business that he's built, setting goals around that, it really is almost like a masterclass on building your own agency, whether you want to just be a one person agency with, you know, a few contractors or whether you want to, you know, build something bigger with partners and perhaps even full-time employees. I think what he's laid out here is a pretty good roadmap for at least thinking through what it is that you want. Uh, so, so that's like the big thing that stood out to me from that, from uh, the last few minutes, Kara, how about you, anything jump out at you? Yeah. I mean, what I, what I love about Chris and how he's grown is that he's taking on new challenges in his business. 
Um, and he's grown so much since the last time we chatted with him on the podcast. And um, it's just really cool to hear him talk about, you know, another mountain to climb and finding that next challenge. Because even though for him, it's it's one thing and it's, you know, building his agency and um, and he's doing it and it's happening and he's dreaming big and he's actually doing the work to get there. But for all of us, it's different. And, you know, my my dream is going to look different than your dream, than someone else's dream. So it's just a good reminder that we can all look for the next challenge and that there is no set path for this thing that we all do as copywriters. Um, and we it's OK to say, hey, I've been doing this for a while. I like I love being a copywriter, but here's the next step for me. And what I'm doing now doesn't it doesn't feel challenging like it used to and doesn't satisfy me in the way that it used to. And that's okay. Um, but I think it's easy to feel stuck where we feel like we have to continue kind of doing the same thing to become an expert in that thing. Uh, but your expert status can evolve to the next thing as it has for Chris. Yeah. He made almost a throwaway comment at the very beginning when we started talking about the different paths that a copywriter can follow. He mentioned specifically high-end clients and then his agency, but We've mentioned this a few other times, but there are so many ways to apply the skills that we have as copywriters and build a business that fits us. And you can go after high-end clients. You can serve normal clients. You can start your own agency. You can work in-house or work at an agency. You can create your own digital products. You can create your own physical products. You know, there are just so many ways to apply copywriting uh, because it's a superpower and it's needed by almost all businesses. I love, again, how Chris spelled out how he's taken his copywriting business and, and turned it into an agency. But, you know, like you were saying, there's there's a lot of paths. And it's I guess that's why we do the podcast is because we like to see all of the various paths that people are on. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's probably that is probably why we started the podcast and continue the podcast, because we are interested in it. Um, and it's cool, too, to have Chris here because he's talking about what he's done to build his agency and um and he's excited about it. And, you know, he's, he's learned along the way and he's had a lot of success. Um, and it's great to talk about agencies in a positive light because I don't think you and I trash agencies ever, but we have had a couple people on the show where agencies, um, the agency model maybe didn't work out as well for them or they chose not to do it. Um, it can be really challenging. Like Chris shares with us. Uh, but it's also cool to hear someone talk about like, yeah, it is challenging but this is what I want to build and I'm going to figure out how to do it. Even if, you know, even if it's difficult along the way. So I think this is a perfect interview for anyone who is considering building some type of agency and kind of wants um, not a how to, but just to know the different options. And then Chris also talked about, you know, how he has built his authority. Yeah, I asked him specifically about that. And I, I love, we love talking about this. This is something we do a lot in our own think tank mastermind. Uh, it's something that we do in our own businesses. We try to help people figure out, like, what is it that you want to be a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, and being really intentional about the things that will get you there. And for Chris, like a lot of experts who have gone from, you know, wherever they started out, let's call it zero. Although I don't think zero is the right word for it, but you know, going from zero to sixty or to a hundred or to you know, however you want to look at that scale, takes intentionality and showing up every day. And Chris does it almost every day with a, a daily email to his list. He, he talked about, you know, where he started out and the first things that he did to, to build that list. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it just, it, 
you need to be cognizant of where it is that you want to go. Otherwise, you're just on that same treadmill and you're not going to actually get to the place that will serve you and your business if you're not thinking about it. You'll end up somewhere and maybe it will be there, but the more intentional you are, the faster you can accomplish what you want to accomplish and the sooner you'll get there. It's interesting that the one of the tougher exercises in our accelerator program when copywriters join is in the first module where they need to write down what their five-year business goals look like or the business vision really looks like and a lot of a lot of them are just like I don't really know yet and that's of course that's okay I think it's it's tricky to talk about those big goals even a three-year vision for your business when you're just getting started it's hard to talk about it even when you've been doing it for five years or more uh, because oftentimes we're just so focused on what's in front of us and it takes nearly all of our energy to work on the goal that's right in front of us. So to, so to step back and to have that vision and take time to figure out that vision and even challenge yourself to think bigger in the way that Chris has, you know, to really think in a huge way. That's just, most of us don't do that. And so I think if, you know, my takeaway would just be to take some time to, and give yourself some space to do that. And even to surround yourself with people who will challenge you to think bigger about what you want to do. Um, because oftentimes it's hard to do that on your own. Yeah. There's that saying, you can't see the label from inside the bottle. You know, it, it, often it takes a coach or a mentor to help you see what's possible. And obviously we're, we're big on those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that, you know, if you're struggling to see what the future holds or what the potentials are out there, it may just be helpful to bounce a few ideas off of a friend or off of you know, somebody who can give you that perspective. Chris mentioned a couple of people he's worked with. Obviously, you know, we've asked this question of a lot of people, the different coaches, the different training resources that they've had over the course of the last you know, three years as we've, as we've asked people about that on the podcast. I think what it comes down to is find somebody who you trust, somebody who's built the kind of business that you seem to want to build now and get to know them, ask them questions and, and use them to reflect back to you what the possibilities are for your business over the next year to you know, three to five years. Let's get back into our interview and hear Chris's advice to a brand new copywriter and what he would do if he had to start over. If you were starting over or if you were giving this advice to a brand new copywriter who wants to, you know, follow the Chris Orzachowski path, what would you start with? Blogging, I think. And that's it's, it's the thing that no one wants to do because it's hard and it takes time and it's slow. But dude, it just works. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Like when you have a blog, it's just um if you have a good blog, you know, and the thing is, it's not gonna be good at first, and you gotta be okay with it not being good at first. My yeah. first article sucked. Some of them were terrible. I look. I don't even want to look back at them. Like this we, we should go. We should go dig that up and link to it in the show notes. Everyone's gonna go on. They're gonna be like, "Let's go back to yeah. 2016 and rip on this guy." Um, yeah, but that's the thing. It's like if you have the blog, you have a piece of digital real estate. It's kind of like if you buy an empty plot of land, then you build a house. The house, you know, that plot is now infinitely more valuable because now you could sell it, you could rent it, you could do all these other things. So. It's digital property. It's owning a piece. It's owning spaces on the monopoly board of the internet, right? The more the spaces you own, the more money you'll probably ultimately make. And that's the first property you buy is your own. So I would just say that and just give yourself three years and say, okay, you know, nothing's going to happen in the first year, but you're going to have to continue to do it. And then by year two, you're going to start to get some traction. By year three, everyone's going to know who you are. 
Yeah, I, lo- I love that advice. Okay, so let's talk about the mind shift, the mindset shifts that you've had to make over the last couple of years, going from freelancer doing everything on your own to business owner, um, you know, expert in the space, especially around email. You know, how did you have to change your thinking in order to make those uh, changes? Oh man, well, there's a lot of that's that's been the biggest, the hardest part, you know, because after a while, it's not about, can you write an email? Can you do a launch? Right. It's, that's the least important thing after a while. It's all about like, can you be, you know, it's funny. Like I remember back when I was like into reading a lot of copywriting books, I'd see like these like leadership books. I'm like, who reads that stuff? Like, why would you (laughs) like now I'm like, Oh, I get it now. Like now I know why, you know, why I'm reading Napoleon's biography and like all these other like books of, you know, great people from history who've done amazing things, see how they, just lead. It's a different realm, obviously, but like how they make decisions and their mental models and the processes. And like, so that's been the biggest thing in terms of like, you know, I just did my core values, my five core values for the US for, for my team. And like, that was one of those things where like, I would never imagine I'd do anything like that. So the biggest mindset shifts, I mean, have been, you know, especially when you have a team, it's like hire people who get it and are good at what they do. And if they get it, like there's people who like, I've tried to hire from outside and nice people, right? But like, they just don't get it. They're not like in the industry. They don't get the products and don't get the way it works, right? Versus, you know, some hires that I've made, like everyone on my team now, like they all have written copy. They've all done funnels. They've been through launches. They've, you know, done e-commerce. They've done all these things. Like they get it. Like, I don't have to go in and train these people up. They get it. They they show up and they know what to do. And that's one of the biggest things. And that's anything you hire. You want to hire someone to do your website, hire someone who's done websites before. Don't hire someone it's like, I think I can figure it out. Like, don't hire that person. Hire the person who's done it and gets it. So that's one thing. Um, another thing too is just realizing like you're always the bottleneck when you have a team. And like, if you're, you know, visionary, not visionary, like, oh, like Steve Jobs. I'm not talking like that, but just in the EOS term of visionary, like you sit in that chair in the organization, then you need to realize that you need to set the vision, give it to people who get it and can do it. And I've done it before and just give them the space and say, here's the outcome that I want. I don't care how it gets done. You figure it out. This is your baby and have fun with it. And then if you've hired the right person, their eyes are going to light up when they have that opportunity. So that's like the biggest mindset shift for me. And uh, another thing too, is like, you know, swallowing the, uh, uh, or eating the, the humble pie of realizing like you get to a point where you have your preconceived ideas about certain things, about the way that things should work or just in marketing, like, Oh my God, I can't believe that works. It's so stupid. And then you get to the point where you're like, you know what, I'd rather be versed than right. And like, I just don't care anymore about my ideas about like, well, I think that marketing should be this, or this person did this tactic and that's stupid. And it's like, you know what? cool. If it works and works for them, great. We'll try it out. Oh, it didn't work for us. Okay. We'll try something else. But like, it doesn't mean it's a stupid idea. It's just trying a bunch of things and seeing what works the best and just saying, okay, here's the outcome we want. And the outcome is the only thing that matters. So let's figure out what strategies and tactics we need to put in place to get there. And let's not leave any options off the table. And how's your thinking around money changed, uh, especially going from you know, school teacher where I know most school teachers never have enough. Uh, now business owner where you have maybe enough and obviously there's plenty of potential out there to go get more, but how has your thinking there changed? Um, it's changed a lot, you know, like that's, <laughs> it's been the hardest thing. It's uh, not hardest, but it's it's just like weird. It's like, so I remember what I used to make as a teacher and I'm like, man, like I can never go back. Like, what would I do? <laughs> like, yeah. how would I ever go back to making 50 grand a year? Like, what would I even, you know, now like there's months when we spend 50 grand, you know? So it's like, that's been the biggest thing for me was like getting over that. And, and I think the thing for me, because what happens is 
when you go, like you can get, you can become a freelancer and you can get to the point where you're making like 200K a year. You know, let's say you're, you're, so you're doing 20K a month and you're clearing, let's, let's call 15K profit, right? You're living a good life. You're making 108K top line before taxes. Like you are, you're taken care of, you're good, right? And you're probably low stress by that point because you know you're in your groove, you know your projects, you have good clients to work with, you can choose the ones you want to work with. Life is good. What happens is when you say, I want to get to that next level, that's when it gets really hard. And that's what happens is you go from having those 70 or 80% profit margins to 20 to 30, or maybe even 40% profit margins, which that is a big, a hard pill to swallow because you'll realize like most months I start in the whole 30K, not like minus 30K in day one, but like I know with all my expenses, like, okay, we're going to spend probably, you know, if we have some big expenses, if we have to, you know, a big outlay for a big project, or if it's like, you know, a website overhaul or like things like that, it's like, okay, we're going to do an extra five to 10. So like there's months where like you'll spend more than what you used to make in a year. And that is a little bit scary, but you have ways to recoup that money. You have offers and you have, you know, clients and all these other things. So if at first, at the first 12 months or so, it's very hard. There's just these ups and downs of like, oh my God, like, you know, you lay awake in bed and you're like, wow, we're spending a lot of money and like, we're making a lot of money too, but like, hope there's some left for me at the end. <laughs> so it's a lot of that. It's a lot of like, you know, hopefully that, you know, we, we don't throw up on the roller coaster. Right. Um, but after a while, you just realize, you know what, like you're not going to die. And you know, the worst thing that could ever happen is all of your clients fire you, all of your customers leave, you make zero dollars and then you fire everyone. And then you just go take a client, right? Like that, that's always what I tell myself. I said, God forbid, if you know, everything just, you know, fell apart, that's just what I would do. It so because I know how to write copy, right? And that's the thing. It's like that nice security blanket. So that helps me sleep better at night. And it's also just knowing like, you know, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be fat months and there's going to be lean months, right? Like that's just what's going to happen. Like you're going to have your big months where you have, you know, like I had a six figure month in July and it was great. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. We made, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars this month in revenue. That is, you know, in a 30 day period, I was like, that's pretty cool. And then there's other months where <laughs> there was one month where we made like 75 and I think after I had to pay taxes that month too. And I think I maybe even profited like two grand that month. I was like, yeah, Oh my hurts. God, we just spent, you know, between like the $19,000 tax payment and like, you know, 50 something thousand dollars in expenses. I was like, Oh my God, like I made two grand this month. I mean, again, that's not how accounting works, right? Because it's uh, the end of the year and like there's sure. a lot of owners comp and those things, but like, it's, it's after a while you just have to be okay with that. Like you just find this, like, I've just found this like piece where it's like, this is just what it is. This is just business now, you know, because especially when you start reading, like I read a lot of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and like, you know, we're reading there's in the Warren Buffett biography, he's talking about companies like, you know, Geico. And all of a sudden, like all these claims came in or like people were defaulting on thinking all this stuff happened. Right. And like, now they're on the hook for $600 million. And like the CEO has got to figure out how to save the company. I'm like, you know what? I don't have that problem. So my problems aren't so bad. So it's all about reframing and saying, like, if you read about people who've done things that are a hundred times or a thousand times bigger than what you're trying to do, it really puts what you're not like, it doesn't belittle you, but it just makes you more comfortable and say, I could solve this problem. This isn't hard. Like, okay, we have an up month, we have a down month, right? Like we have months where things are working really well. We have clients, we have profits. You're smart with your money. You learn to be smart with your money. You learn to say, okay, here's how much I need to live. Here's how much I have left over to invest. Here's the money I keep in the war chest. Here's the money that I have for future growth into the business and those kind of investments. It just forces you to get good. Like that's the thing. All this stuff, when you choose to get that next level and you want to go to seven figures and beyond, it's hard. It's this profit margin inversion where it flips, right? The, the, you know, the majority of your money is now expenses rather than profit, but 
you get to a point where even if it stays a minority, right, in terms of the percentage scale, right, even if it stays at 20 or 30%, if the business grows and grows and grows, and all of a sudden now you have a $10 million business, that 30% is so much bigger than the 75% it was when you were only making 200K a year. Yeah, good uh, shift to have in your business when it happens. Okay, so I want to maybe shift our conversation just a little bit uh, and talk about the thing that you're known for, which is email. Uh, I'm always shocked at how few copywriters have their own email lists. And you know, I know it's a case of the shoemaker's kids don't have shoes. You know, we don't take care of our own businesses. Even, even Kira and I, we don't always uh, email like we should, that kind of thing. But I'm curious your thoughts. What is the bare minimum that copywriters should be doing with email in their own businesses and not necessarily for their client? Although it probably applies to the client's businesses too, but, but um, in their own businesses. Yeah, I think everyone has time to do one email a week. Um, and the thing is, like, I email a lot. I email probably more than most people. You know, there's times when I'll send, like, I usually do about 40 or 50 emails a month to my list, various segments and things, but you don't need to do that. Like, if, as long as you're writing good quality, like, what you could do is write your blog post, right? Could just be an email, a really good email that you write and then post on your blog, and then there's your content, right? So, I think everyone has at least one good thing to talk about every single week, right? Or at least you need to develop that muscle to be able to do that. So, there's nothing wrong, you know, like, there's, there's, I'm trying to think of examples. Like, I'm sure there's probably some people I follow who, you know, I, you know, you, you doing these sub stacks, you've subscribed to these people yep. who, yep. There's you know, like really good lists, all these people on Twitter who are starting to realize they don't own their platform. They create a sub stack. That's always like the, the exodus, right. To sub stack. Yep. And there's a lot of interesting people like Edward Snowden has one. I've read a few of his, right. And there's uh, some other ones that I'm on. Right. But like, they'll just do once a week or so to put out like a really good piece of content. And like, I'm always looking forward to those new, uh, things that people are putting out. So, you know, it's just about being, you know, I hate to use the word like thought leader, but like, you know, if, if you want to be good at this and you want to be, you know, rise above the middle of the pack, then like that's, those are the things that you have to do. So I think once a week is, is, is good to get started and you can maintain that consistently no matter how busy you are. And so if I were going to set this up as a new copywriter, uh, I know, you know, I got to do something to attract people to my list. Like, do you have ideas that you would share as far as like, what's a really good lead magnet? Like, what's that, that whole sign up process that I need to set that up for myself? What does that look like? Ideally, you want to have a good lead magnet, but you don't have to. What, what I've realized is like, if you're, as long as you're just posting, if you're someone that posts really good content, people don't want to sign up to get notified when the new content comes out. So you don't need a lead magnet. Um, but if you're not going to have a lead magnet, you need to have really good content that people could see when they go to your site and say, wow, I want more of this stuff. So the content um, almost becomes a lead magnet in that case. Essentially. Yeah. Like there's, I've, I've been to blogs where it's like, I just like what this person has to say. So I'm going to for the list is whatever comes in my inbox. Cool. And again, like, that's not what you want to rely on, but it, it's, it's just a matter of like, there's, there's some carrot you got to dangle, whether it's a good lead magnet or it's good content or it's both. I try to do both. Right. Like, um, but that if, you know, if you have both, it's even just more gasoline in the fire, but as long as you have one of those two, you're in good shape. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, what else, you know, what else is coming for you in the future? You know, what are you building in your business? What are you changing? You know, what's, what's next? Good question. Um, I never really know, you know, I'm just <laughs> a third book to, or yeah, I'm going to do a third book. Yeah. I got that in the works. Although I want it to be, I want it to be like, like a coffee cake. You know what? Here, I'll show you. Like, you get these, you ever have like good cookbooks? Like, I haven't read this, oh, yeah. one, but this is a, this guy like makes stuff with fire. Like, they got these glossy pictures and nice, like, not that I'm, it's not a cookbook, but like, I want it to be a, a copy book that's glossy, like a coffee table book. It's a big project. I don't know if I should go through a publisher, or try to do myself. 
I haven't even started to think about that, but I definitely want to do a third book and one that's like really like a thick, valuable, not just like a 50 page, not, and there's nothing wrong with the short book, but like, I want like, like a, a legacy piece. Right. So it might be a two year process. So that's a project that I'm starting to do. Um, you know, the agency will continue to grow that and take on projects and do work for the clients who come in. And then there's other stuff like, you know, it's hard because I've had to sit down and like do this and like to go through the EOS process and figure out core values and one year, three year, 10 year vision, all this stuff. And it's really hard when you start thinking about this stuff, because I used to operate my business, not knowing what next month is going to look like just in terms of clients and projects and other things. Now it's like, what do you want it to look like 12 months, 36 months, 120 months. So I think for me, it's, um, we're definitely moving more into coaching more coaching and just creating like programs for e-commerce brand owners and, you know, email marketers who just want to up-level their skills. And the big thing for me is like, I just know what email has done for leverage in my own life. And it's like, what is it? Archimedes lever, right? Like give me a lever long enough to move the world. Like that's what email is, right? Like if you are good at email, you know how to do email very effectively your life can be very simple and easy and profitable, no matter what your business is. Because like if you have a list, whether it's 400 people or 400,000 people, like if you have the ability to send emails to that list to make money, that takes a little bit amount of time. It can produce a great outcome and it's highly leveraged. And it's something that, you know, I'm just, it just, it's like a superpower. So we just want to arm people with that superpower uh, in many different ways possible. So that's kind of vague, right? That's like the, you know, abstract vision for it, <laughs> but in terms of what that'll look like, it's just more programs, more coaching, just trying to create better and better offers. Like we always try to say like, what is the dream come true offer that we can create? And offer creation is a whole nother science, right? In terms of like, how do you make it better, uh, faster, simpler, like, you know, all these, like, how do you, how do you continue to do that? So it's just this never ending process of how do we refine and come out with new things that people are just like losing their mind over because it's so awesome. So it's, that's, that's the big picture. Um, but that's what we're looking, looking to do. Okay. Last set of questions. Um, you know, I know you've done a lot of coaching and, and when I talk about not you as a coach, but you've worked with coaches like through this entire process of growth. Um, I think particularly with Kevin, but with others as well. And Kevin's an awesome, awesome individual. He's given a lot to the copywriting community. Um, talk about that, how that has impacted your business, um, you know, and how having, you know, a mastermind around you coach to help you along the way, like, how has that helped you in ways that you couldn't have done on your own? You know, it's one of those things where you start to just, what they say, success leaves clues. And like earlier on in my career, I started to just realize like all the people who are really doing well, all have coaches. <laughs> so I said, I should probably look into that. Uh, and then I started to, you know, some, some people who were maybe like earlier on, who were just starting coaching. I was, you know, who had lower price coaching programs. I would do coaching with them. Um, but then like with Kevin, you know, I remember I joined Copy Chief probably in like 2015-ish, probably not when he launched, but, you know, maybe months after that. Um, and I remember like he launched RFL the first time and it was like way less money than when I joined a few years later. So I was always like kicking myself, but I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. But then I got to the point where I was like, you know what, like there's someone out there, him, who was charging 50K for a project. And I was like, I don't know if I'll be able to do that but I got to at least see how that's done. And I got to at least learn from this person, right? And it, part of it is like, when you pay a coach, you skip the line. You skip the line in terms of figuring out all the hard lessons yourself, peering around the corners and getting punched in the face unexpectedly. Like you peer around all this and you see 
you know, it's just like a shortcut. It's just the ultimate shortcut. It doesn't mean like you're not gonna have to do work. You're gonna have to do a lot of work, right? Probably more work than you had to on your own, but it's gonna get you to a higher level faster. And it's, you know, it's, people have solved the problems you're trying to solve before, you know, like that's why you think about like all these venture capital companies, like what they do is you get your, you know, if a VC firm invests in you, eventually the business gets to a certain point. And if you're not the right person to take the next level, they just swap you out and put a new CEO in, and then you're still the owner, but like, you know, and you're on the board, but they just have the person who's taken the company from hundred million to a billion or whatever the thing you're trying to get to, because that's what the game of business and life is about. It's like, where do you want to get to? Who has done that? Just model what they've done or just give, give them, have them give you the answers to the quiz essentially. Right. So that's just the way I've always viewed coaching. And like, that's one aspect of it. And the other aspect of it is like, you know, in the beginning, when no knows who you are, a good way for people to know who you are is to pay them so they know who you are. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that because that's like what everyone talks about networking, right? Like what is networking? Networking is getting into rooms where you can meet people and have people know you. So like whether you have to go to a BNI meeting or you have to go to an event or you have to go to a conference or you join a mastermind or you join a coach, it doesn't matter. It's all the same thing. You're paying something, right? At the end of the day, and there's nothing wrong with that because eventually if you pay to be in enough rooms, you start to know people and people know who you are. And then you have lead flow and you have a reputation and you have a network and all these other things and you're taken care of. So that's just the way it is. And like anyone can buy their way into any room they want, you know, there's so, okay, maybe not, you know, some hundred thousand dollar, your mastermind, at least not in the beginning, but like, you don't have to do that to get a good network of people and to get someone who could guide you, who, you know, we all go, you know, a lot of people go to college, right? They go to college and you pay a hundred to 200 K. And like me, I went to college, I got a master's degree. I got a master's in, in special education and like, okay, well, it's kind of a waste, right? Like, I mean, I got a job for a couple of years, but I spent all that money and then people don't want to do coaching. It's like, okay, well, you're now starting a new career and a new profession. And you don't want to do any higher education, right? Like that's always the thing that boggles my mind. It's like, you got to invest in something. It's like, you pay 200K for college education, pay five grand for a coaching program. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Because this has the potential to get you a lot to money a lot faster. Like I had to take dance appreciation and like if dance is cool, whatever, that's fine. Like it was, you know, interesting class, but like, I didn't want to be a dancer. So like, why did I have to take that? But I had to pay, you know, a thousand dollars a credit hour at a college. to do. So like, when you think about the things you've spent money on in the past versus coaching and the expenses for that, there's such a higher, higher, excuse me, higher ROI from the coaching and all those kind of things. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Last question, you know, if you could go back to Chris, just starting out, still, you know, teaching school, just starting to to do the writing thing and give him some advice, what would you say? Hmm. You know, it's one of those where I don't think I change anything, but I would just tell myself, like, just have patience because, you know, and that's another thing coming from reading all like the Warren Buffett stuff is like, you know, life is long. It feels short, but it's, it's long decades of decades to do this stuff. Right. Like, you know, it's just, you don't have to rush it all. Like just keep working hard and keep working with that will and, and that's that zeal and that zest. Right. But like, you don't have, it doesn't have, if it doesn't happen today, it doesn't mean it's never going to happen. Right. So it's just understanding the importance of patience in the beginning. And it's, it's kind of a, a, a catch one too, because like, if you were never impatient in the beginning, would you still get to where you are? Like you always have those thoughts. But for me, like now I'm at the point with my business where I'm like, even though we're growing fast and everything's happening, I'm just like, just enjoying the moment and living with that patience and embracing that and saying like, it's okay. Life is long. You have a long timeline and you're going to make good things happen. If you just keep on doing the right stuff. 
That's the end of our interview with Chris Orzhakowski. Uh, let's touch on just a couple more things that Chris mentioned in this last half of the interview. And I'll, I'll start again, Kara. You know, one of the things that um, stood out to me, you know, as Chris is talking about starting over and what he would do differently is that he really wouldn't do anything differently. You know, he, he's done so many things right in his business and he, he specifically talked about, you know, blogging, the guest posting, you know, being out there as a writer and sharing his ideas. And I think that's a really good starting point. You know, if you want to be known as an expert, you've got to start creating content and whether it's blogging or podcasting or video or some other format, it's uh, it, it should definitely be part of almost any writer's toolbox as they launch and, and try to get known. But if you were starting out or starting over, Kara, is there anything you would do differently? I wouldn't partner with this guy I met in a mastermind group. Yeah, there you go. Named Rob Marsh. It's all over right now. No, I if I yeah I, I mean I feel like Chris too. I often say like I wouldn't really change anything, but you know what? I would. I would start growing um, a list. Early, I would start uh, emailing marketing to the list earlier. Um, I would really focus on that. That there, I mean, Chris is all about the power of a list and selling to your list and writing and sending emails daily. Uh, so I would have started on that earlier, and I think that's so important for for all of us to have that. It, it builds your confidence when you know you have that. So it, just for the sake of feeling confident that I don't have to depend on the three clients I'm working with today, because I've got 200 people on my list who are excited to hear from me and might potentially purchase an, a future offer. So that's one. The second would be, I would not have worked so many hours um, in 2018, 2019, when I was building with you, building the copywriter club and building my own, my own copywriting micro agency. And I was doing both of them full throttle at the same time. And um, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wish somebody was like, hey, maybe you should chill out and not work every night. Maybe hang out with your family a little bit more. Um, so that's what I would change. Um, but I have learned from that time and, and have made changes in my own business and life so that I'm not in the same place I was in, in 2018. So another thing that stood out to me as Chris was talking is just how his ideas about money have changed. You know, when he specifically talked about moving from a sole proprietorship, you know, where he's doing all of the work and he's making all of the money, it looks like he's got a profit margin, you know, something like 70, 80%. Once you start bringing in contractors or employees and you start building the agency, so much of that money goes out to your contractors and your profit margins drop to, you know, 20, 30%. And, you know, that can be eye opening as it was for Chris that, you know, that kind of a drop, I guess the flip side of it, and we didn't really talk about it is when you're making, you know, 30% over the costs of say five or six employees, you're still able to make more money in total, even though the profit margins are lower because you're able to get more work done. You're able to, you know, help more clients. You're able to fulfill on more deliverables. And so while that shift happens, if you're looking at the numbers specifically in your business, it looks like, oh no, profit margins are dropping. It's not going to be anywhere near, you know, what it was. It's just a different business model. And, you know, we've seen others who have built similar things like Brittany McMean, when she built her agency, saw the exact same thing. You know, it, it's very costly to run an agency, but 
it can still be profitable. You just have to adjust your mindset when it comes to money. Well, I like the idea of shifting your mindset around money frequently. And maybe it can't, you know, maybe it doesn't happen every week, but having some shift where you think about money, think about wealth in a different way. And, you know, for me, even today, Rob, the two of us, you know, sat through our think tank retreat um, and there was a presentation about wealth and investing. And so for me, even just being in that room, learning about different ways I can invest as a business owner, um, which has been an area I have not been focused on, you know, that was a huge shift in my mindset about like how, how I view wealth and how I can take action to invest in my own business in the future. And so, you know, if you can find opportunities, whether it's reading a book or listening to a podcast or attending workshops or any type of event or memberships, um, having those money shifts really can you know, move your business forward as you shift the way you think about your own wealth. And it's just one or two other small things that you know I, I touch on. One, I think this interview with Chris pairs really well with the recent interview that we did with Liz Wilcox about email. So, you know, Chris's philosophy and approach is slightly different, but I think they agree on a lot of things, you know, as far as documenting your day and, and talking about your business and successes and uh, not necessarily having to write stories for every email. So uh, if you haven't listened to the interview with Liz after you finish listening to this one, definitely go back because they go really well together. And then another thing that really stood out to me is, you know, as we've talked with people a second time in their businesses, like Laura Belgray, we brought back a month or two ago, Kim Schwalm, we recently brought back, and then now Chris, none of them three years ago, when we talked to them, thought that they would have the businesses that they have today. They all had a different plan. And, you know, I don't know if that's true of everybody, but and, you know, again, going back to that idea we were talking about earlier, you know, is trying to see that five-year plan or where you want to be with your authority, even with your business, things change so much. And so, you know, being afraid to take a step forward, you know, to try out a niche or to work with a particular client that might be challenging or to put a new product out there feels like such a big thing. It feels like you're committing to something. And in the reality is all of us change our businesses so much that we should just try it as many things as possible to see what we like, to see what works, to see what we want to do more of so that we can actually iterate ourselves to that perfect business faster. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it almost frees us up, right? If we know that our business could look radically different in three years, two years, five years, um, and we don't have to feel so attached to it. And it just puts you in a more experimental mindset too. Um, and I like, I love the idea of just setting those big goals. Like we talked about earlier, like think really, really, really big. And then also be totally open to the fact that your goal, that big goal you set may change completely. And that's also okay. But to not set that big goal, um, I feel like that's, I don't know, at least for me, I feel like I'd be missing out if I stopped setting those big goals. Um, but I need to be aware of the fact that I will shift at any moment. And in danger of almost repeating what we said a little bit before, but at the very end, you know, Chris talked about why he invested in coaches and, and various things for his business. And that is because he wants to skip the line. He wants to learn faster and grow faster. And certainly that is true. That's why we work with coaches. It's why we find mentors. It's why we read books or take courses. Uh, but also I, th I think you know, we need to be really careful that, 
you know, if, if that coach or that book or the promise of whatever the thing is that we're investing in is that you get to skip the line, you need to be a little bit wary because there are very, very, very few successful people who have been successful without doing the work, without the trial and error, making mistakes, learning from those mistakes. You know, there's, there's no such thing as a gold medalist at the Olympics who didn't do all the workouts. It just doesn't happen. And the same thing is pretty true in business. So while it is very smart to get coaches and mentors, uh, every Olympic athlete has a coach and, and you know, that helps you get to that finish line. It's not without work there. There isn't really a way to skip the line, although some things can be made easier and you can avoid a few mistakes. Well, it could be a really long line, like at Six Flags Amusement Park, and you can do the hard work to get ahead in the line. But the fast you, pass. <laughs> right. But you could still duck under and move a little bit faster. Um, that may be the worst, worst comparison here. But uh, I think you can have both work hard and look for opportunities where you can move a little bit faster and skip the line. There's nothing wrong with doing both. We want to thank Chris Orzakowski for joining us on the podcast today. If you want to connect with Chris or keep up with what he's doing, go to theemailcopywriter.com and get on his list to get his daily email. That's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts and leave a review of the show. And if you're ready to invest in yourself and your copywriting business and finally achieve your goals, visit thecopywriterthinktank.com. Maybe I'll just mention Chris actually spoke at our retreat last week and his presentation all about building your first product and making six figures is part of the Copywriter Think Tank training now. So if you decide you want to join and participate in that, you can see that additional training from Chris. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club. Yeah, can make you lots of money. Listen to the Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club. So...